Okay, good morning. Continuing the parsh of Acharemos. We're now going to, we talked about Yom Kippur already at length. We're going to talk now about other offerings that were brought after they had the Mishkan built. So it used to be, in the time when the Jews were living in the desert, the Jewish people were allowed to offer a sacrifice to Hashem on any altar that they would build in any location in which they would build it. So a Jew would build what's called a Bama. You build an altar, you dedicate it to Hashem, and then he can offer, take an animal, offer it up as a peace offering, you know, eat part of it, burn up part of it, etc., etc. The Gemara and Chulun has a debate if the Jews were allowed to bring their own personal, to slaughter animals for their own personal consumption in the times of the Mishkan, or they had to uh, bring it, eat only the meat that was part of a peace offering. But according to Rashi, they were allowed to, they, they brought their own, uh, they were allowed to slaughter animals outside the Mishkan, and so here the Torah comes with a very strong leader, the very strong prohibition. And Hashem says to warn the Jewish people that no one may bring an offering outside of the Mishkan, outside of the home of Hashem. And anyone that has to be offered, that any man, says it in the verse, any man of the house of Israel wants to slaughter any kind of animal, and instead of bringing it to the, to the Mishkan, to the house of Hashem, instead he brings it elsewhere, he will be accounted uh, for as if he had shed the blood of a person, his soul will be cut off from among the people, meaning he will die prematurely, he will have karas. Very, very strong uh, warning over here. Why? First of all, Hashem wanted to give a very strong warning to make sure that people should break that custom, that habit that people had of slaughtering animals outside of the temple for their own, you know, for other reasons. They should only come to connect to Hashem in the place of holiness, in the Mishkan, in the house that Hashem chose. The Medjur gives an example of like a person that before he was married, people gave him gifts and that put in the business, you know, put in the store. Then he got married, said, okay, bring the gifts to my home. You know, so the point is, Hashem, before said you can bring an offering anywhere. Now I have a Mishkan, now I have my own house, bring it to my home. Hashem didn't want people bringing it elsewhere. In addition, that the Jews brought sacrifices to other demons, to other gods, to other forces besides for Hashem. You know, the Jews were living, they were, they were they, in many ways, they were influenced by the other Jews or other non-Jews, perhaps, living amongst them. So Hashem was very strict, come to the, come to the base of Megadash, come to the synagogue. There, we are sure that your focus of the offerings will be in a holy, pure way. And then the Torah says as follows, that a person that will spill their blood, that person, I will consider, again, as if they spill the blood of a person, and they'll be cut off from the nation. Spilling of, spilling of the blood over here is referring to someone that slaughters an animal and does not sprinkle the blood on the Mizbeach. We know whenever you bring an offering, there's sprinkling of the blood on the Mizbeach. Since this person slaughtered the animal, he did not sprinkle the blood on the Mizbeach as the atonement. Therefore, I consider it as if he has spilled the blood of the animal, which the blood of the animal, by being put on the Mizbeach, is meant to atone for the blood, which is the life of the person, so it's as if you spill the blood of a person. Understand the, the logic here? The, the reason why we, spill, we sprinkle blood of the animal because the blood contains the soul of the animal. The soul of the animal is in the blood. That's where it resides. So when we bring an offering, by putting the blood on the altar, like putting the soul of the animal on the altar. Why are we putting the soul of the animal? It's a replacement for us. So our soul is meant to be atoned through the spilling of the blood of the animal, which contains within it the soul of the animal. So by not utilizing the blood in this way, you're, you're wasting life, 
And Hashem says it's a very, very big sin. In addition, only the priest can burn up the fats of the animal that were burnt on the altar, different offerings, different kinds of fats, the thigh, the chest, the, the kidneys, the diaphragm, etc., the fat over the kidneys, the liver, those different uh, limbs that were burnt on the altar could only be done by the priests. This will be an eternal rule for the Jewish people to ensure that they stay true to Hashem and not get distracted worshiping other gods. Okay, then we come to the prohibition of forbidden blood. Besides the fact that you have to spill the blood or sprinkle the blood of an offering on the altar, a Jew is never allowed to eat blood. Never allowed to eat blood. You have this more than once in the Torah. And the reason is, as the Torah explicitly says in this week's parasha, ki nefesh habasar bandani. It's right in this week's Torah reading. The soul of the, of, the, of the creature, of the flesh literally, is inside the blood. And therefore, Hashem says, I gave it to you on the Mizbech to atone for you and you're wasting it. So therefore, Hadam, I said it was actually in this verse, Ki Hadam, that the blood of the animal is the atonement for the soul of the person. And so by wasting it, you're losing that atonement. Therefore, I said to every single Jewish person, no soul from you may eat blood, which means not an adult, not a male, not a woman, not a child, no one, no soul is allowed to eat blood, including the converts and those who dwell amongst them, meaning even the non-Jews that reside amongst the Jews, they're not allowed to eat blood. To God, this is very, very serious. Well, oh, excellent question. I got excellent. George has a good question, a Jewish question. Here's a businessman right here. Are you allowed to have? So I, let me say one thing. However, then the Torah says, in addition to that, you have a mitzvah to cover. You know, what? I'll answer your question first. The Torah says you have a mitzvah to cover the blood, because the blood is not just is it you're not allowed to eat it. The blood has a certain sanctity and holiness to it that has the soul of a person and of the animal, and therefore. If a person will slaughter an animal in a permitted way to eat it for consumption, etc., not in the altar, obviously, but in a permitted way where he's eating it for his own benefit, a regular shechita, we have a mitzvah of covering the blood with dust. And in fact, that's why when you go today to Kaparis, for example, after they slaughter the, uh, the bird, they put the bird into the thing that the blood could drip out, and there's earth, there's ashes there, no earth there. And you cover and you make a blessing. Baruch Ata Hashem Alokein Nimelach Olam Asher Kedishanu V'Tosavetz V'Na Akisay Dam Ba'Afar. On the gate, you sanctify the mitzvah of covering the blood with the earth. This week's parsha, the today's Torah reading. So it's a mitzvah to cover the blood with earth. That okay. So now, answer to Jojo's question: Are you allowed to have benefit from the blood? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. In fact, in the times of the temple, they actually had a, a canal where they were gathered all the blood. That was, uh, that, was, uh, that was during the course of the day, there was a lot of blood, and they would sell it. The Mishkan sold it as fertilizer. Blood is a fertilizing agent. It's used as. What? You make a makeup, yeah, makeup with blood. Okay, delicious. Lipstick with blood. <laughs> the truth is, it's not a joke. I remember when I went to the. To, to the po- to the postal to the meat factory where they make the meat when I was in high school in yeshiva, so I saw that they, they keep every single part of the animal they sell the skull the bone the eyeballs the the hooves everything why some goes to some goes to uh, glue but the the eyeballs or whatever goes to a candy company goes to a candy company they put into yeah delicious it's in, it's in some kind of obviously not a kosher candy but it's some kind of candy. 
There's not one part of the animal goes to waste. I saw every they were showing me like this is goes says gets sold to this company, this gets sold to that company. Yeah, the hides the hides are expensive. The skin of the animal is expensive, of course. Yeah, it's a lot of money in that cow. Anyway, so the point is, so you're allowed to use benefit to have benefit from the blood of the animal, and you, the fact that in the time of Mishkan they would sell the blood was considered hectish. It was sell it and it was used as a fertilizer. People wanted that as fertilizer for their fields. Guess it's considered valuable, but you still have to cover the blood. So you cover some of the blood, and then the rest, I guess, you could uh, you could you could use it in a way that it gives you benefit. You can't waste it. But in fact, what does it say in the verse? That the, um, it says spilling it on the ground. So the Torah actually compares the spilling of the blood to like water that's used to fertilize the ground. Not sure if it's here. It's elsewhere. Maybe elsewhere. That you spill the blood on the ground, so it's like water that's used to fertilize. So that's that's the two question. Now, one more interesting halacha is that the Torah did not give that prohibition on domesticated animals. So the mitzvah of covering the blood is on birds and on wild animals, like a deer or something that we could eat. But on those that were brought as offerings in the temple, the sheep, goats, etc., you know, cows, regular. Uh, animals that were used as offerings, they do not have the mitzvah of covering their blood. They don't. Which is why, by the way, if you go to the slaughterhouse, they don't cover the blood. Because it's the mitzvah was not on domesticated animals. The Chendach explains because Hashem wanted not to make a distinction between those animals that are brought in the in the base of Mikdash, that the blood was sprinkled on the altar, and those that are being uh, slaughtered for private use, that you would use the blood. Okay. So verse number 11 Says that the soul of the of the flesh is in the blood, and therefore anyone that eats from the blood, I gave it to you as atonement, and therefore no one's allowed to eat from the blood, etc. And then verse number fourteen again repeats that the soul of all life is in its blood, is its soul, and therefore I've said to all the Jewish people that you should not eat any blood of any animal because the nefesh of the basar, the soul of the flesh, is in the blood. Whoever eats it will get excommunication, will get karis. So the prohibition of eating blood is a very serious prohibition in Judaism. More serious than eating pork. More, you know, I know somebody's like very careful not to eat pork. Not to put it down, it's a good thing to be careful about that. But the prohibition of non-kosher meat, meaning any meat that wasn't salted and taken the blood taken out of the meat, is much more serious. And the, the punishment in, in Hashem's eyes is far more severe and just eating from uh, you know the meat of a non-kosher animal per se. The Torah repeats this, and it's not only here; it's also in the Torah as well. But here, the Torah, several verses repeating this idea that the soul of the creature, soul of the flesh, is in the blood, and therefore, if you eat it, it's not that you're doing a sin; you're getting excommunicated because you're violating the sanctity of the animal instead of using it in a holy way and eating that blood, which is meant to be for the atonement of the person on the mizbeach, etc. Someone who repents is able; God will forgive them. Do tshuva. It's something you got to do tshuva for. You got to do repentance for that. Yeah, Hashem forgives you for your sins if you do proper tshuva. Now, how much tshuva you need to do? And then, even in tshuva, there's many levels of tshuva. King David said, "V'chatosi negdi samim." My sins always before me because David did a sin. He atoned for the sin. But when he atoned, he became on a higher level of purity. So, on a higher level of purity, he had to atone on a higher level of holiness and on a higher level. The blemish of the sin exists in a higher spiritual level, on a more refined level. What? Correct. It always haunts you, and even when you atone for it, it's still a, you know, you atone, then you atone more and more. Yeah. 
is that forgiven as well, or is once you're ex, you're, you're out, or are you able to? No, you can return. Uh, it says, Yisrael, lo yidach menenidach. No Jew is ever pushed away. Now, the way it's written, it doesn't say no Jew will be pushed away. It says, lo yidach menenidach, which means, nidach means pushed away. Let me say how to explain this in English. Lo yidach will not be pushed away. Someone that's pushed away. Meaning, someone that's pushed away is not pushed away. You need a Gemara brain to understand what I just said. We you understand? Someone... The, 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 the novelty of the statement of the Gemara that says a Jew will never be pushed away it's not just a Jew won't be disconnected from Hashem yes he'll be excommunicated but a Jew always remains connected even though a Jew sins he's still a Jew he's still a Yisrael so a Jew remains a Jew no matter what and the relationship always is just on a deeper level so you can always re-mend and repair and rebuild the, the relationship between us and Hashem we're never lost. In Torah, there's nothing unreversible as far as teshuva. Meaning, why, why is that? So let's give a little teshuva class. What? Yeah, but at the end of the day, we say you could do teshuva for anything. So, yeah, so when you ask them, you have to go ask them for forgiveness. You have to get there. So Hashem won't forgive you when you, uh, the sins between you and God. So God can forgive you. And the sins between you and another man. And God won't forgive you until the other person forgives you. So you have to ask for forgiveness. And you have to try and fix it for them. But if you fix it for them, and you make right in, by them, then Hashem uh, will forgive you. And what if the, the person dies and you cannot make it up to the person? I know a story of so you go to their grave and you ask for forgiveness. I know a story where the Rebbe told someone to go with a minion to someone's grave and to ask forgiveness at their grave. Yeah. I like the thing that's hard is past, past transgressions become merits. Correct. That's, that's another, that's, that's where you transform with such energy. I want to explain something else first, okay. which is, I just explained, how could Shuva fix for the sin? The Torah says that if you do eat blood, your soul be cut off from your people. So how could you? Uh, how could I tell you that you can be forgiven for it? So there's a very, very famous story. Hashem went to the. I don't remember all the details on my heart. Hashem went to the Torah. So if a person is a medrash, a person sinned. What should be their? Uh, what should be their atonement or whatever? I don't remember the details exactly how the medrash says. But the point is that there's the level of Torah. And then, there, which is the will of Hashem, the Ratzon of Hashem, God desired that you should not eat blood. And then there's the level of God. God is the Baal HaRatzon. God is the owner of the desire. So, even though God didn't want you to eat blood, and God said, don't eat blood, but God, it was God's desire. So, God has the ability to over, supersede and to override his own desire and say, even though you went against my desire, I still love you. So, for example, if a child sins against their parent, they've gone against what their parent wants. So you've now violated their rutsin, their desire. But because you're connecting to your parent, you can connect to them on the level of the balha rutsin, the owner of the desire. So the power of teshuva is that we're, we're transcending the level of the wisdom and will of Torah, and within, with, 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 within that structure and parameters, indeed, we've been cut off, we've sinned. And we're connecting to God, the source of the desire. On that level, God can create a new desire of will for us. That's why, in this week's parasha, this week's parasha, go back to Yom Kippur, 
What does it say about Yom Kippur? It says, let me turn the page back. Uh, you're going to do Teshuvah. It says, it's this week's prayer. On this day, God says, it'll be a day of atonement for you. The Tahir Eschem, in order to purify you from all of your sins. Lifnei Hashem Titaru. What does that mean simply? Lifnei Hashem, which means before God. Titaru, you will be purified. When you do all the, the, the service of Yom Kippur, you'll be purified before Hashem in the temple. But the words Lifnei Hashem could also mean before God, meaning the level before Yudke Vavke, before the name of God. The name of God is already an expression of God, a manifestation, a revelation of God. The purity, the titaru, the purity of Yom Kippur is able to take you to a place that transcends the name of God. It's lefnei Hashem. It's before the name of Yudke Vavke. When you're able to get past the names of God, the, the, the revelations, the manifestations of God, and get to the essence of God, on that level, titaru, on that level, we are purified. Understand? That's the power of Teshuvah. Okay. And I was going to say one last verse, which is, going back to what we're saying over here, if a person eats a non-kosher, not non-kosher, if a person eats a bird, which is a kosher bird, but it was not slaughtered properly, it's a nevela or a trefa, meaning either it died a natural death or another animal killed it, or it's a trefa, meaning that after it was slaughtered, you saw that it was, it was uh, had a, a blemish and made it not able to be slaughtered, it does not give tuma ritual impurity by carrying it. A non-kosher animal, when it's non-kosher, so the actual meat conveys impurity. A bird does not convey impurity through carrying it, only if you eat it. If you eat this non-kosher bird, you've now, uh, you've now become impure until evening. You need to go to mikvah and be purified. Not only do you have impurity from eating the non-kosher, unslaughtered, or improperly slaughtered treif bird, the clothing you wear also become impure. The clothing become impure, and they have to be purified in the mikvah. And if a person does not, now, it's not a sin to be impure, <coughs> but, next verse says, if you don't wash your clothing, and you don't wash your cl- flesh, meaning you don't go to the mikvah, and you go into the temple, into a holy place, you will bear the burden of your sin for having entered into the Mishkan in the state of impurity, for having eaten this bird that conveys impurity while and having purified yourself from having eaten the unslaughtered kosher bird. If it's a bird that can't be kosher, if it's an ostrich, for example, or an eagle, there's, no, there's impurity of the non-kosher animal, but there's no impurity of the tumah to only a kosher bird that wasn't slaughtered properly. Uh, we have tradition, so we had a class on it. But a kosher bird, the Torah, all birds, okay, in simple to answer your question, yeah. any bird is not a predator. Oh, now the Torah gives a whole list of, any bird is kosher, except for the list of the Torah gives, 21 birds that are not kosher. We don't know what all those birds are. So today yeah. the only birds we eat are birds that we have a tradition that they are kosher, yeah. which is basically any bird that's not a predator bird. Any bird that will attack or eat the flesh of another bird, we don't eat. Gotcha. Can't eat 